My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. comes to work, we, we live in a fascinating and tumultuous time. You know, this coronavirus amp, uh, pandemic has had a tremendous impact on the workplace. I mean, just think about it. A year and a half ago, just thousands of jobs just vanished in, in, a, in, a, in a short period of time. Uh, and then a bunch of other jobs were declared essential. And then, of course, then we got to arguing about what is, type of work is essential. Many of us, we had our workplaces closed down and, and we had to find, figure out how to work and how to attend meetings on Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting in our, in our spaces at home that weren't designed for a home office. And for many of you as well, you had children and pets that you had to somehow manage simultaneously because uh, you're home, which means you're home for me, right? You're home for me, right? Right? That's what kids and pets always think. And so you're trying to manage that as well. And then just when we were getting used to all of that, that new normal, uh, things that changes upon us again. You know, as many office, place, office places and workplaces are opening back up. And if, as this pandemic we thought was coming to an end, we're hoping it will come to an end. And yet the workplace is shifting again. Again, a lot of places are opening up. But a lot of us, we're, we're not interested in or to going back to the workplace. And so you know what? Resignations are skyrocketing. Uh, you've probably heard examples of different people. They're just... In the middle of the day, walking off the job, never to come back. You know, I don't need to be here. We have, you know, it's entire industries that went bust at the beginning of the pandemic and now are booming and are, are advertising all kinds of job opportunities, but people aren't interested in the jobs. I mean, I just went to Mod Pizza last night and they, they, they talk about how they have reduced hours because they can't get enough workers. One way or another, I think we can know for certain that we are in the middle of a collective redefinition of what it means to work. And you know what? For us as followers of Jesus, that is good news. That's good news. We have the opportunity to share good news about what work is all about from the vantage point of the Bible, from the vantage point of the gospel. Except that for we have a challenge in that many of us, we don't see work as part of what's involved in following Jesus. That can be an obstacle in the way. And so what I want to do today is I want to focus on God's purpose for work. And I have just kind of a a core idea that I want to get across, and I'm going to operate from this premise. And it goes like this. Work is a primary means through which God grows us and matures us. 
Work is a primary means through which God grows us and matures us. The goal of every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, is to grow and mature to be like him. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians puts it this way. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We are to grow up in every way. Now, the challenge is then how? What's involved in that? What does it mean to grow up into who Christ is? Too often we relegate this idea of spiritual gift merely to church and church activities. But my friends, it is so much more than that. I love how the late Dallas Willard put it. He, He said this, he said, spiritual formation doesn't happen through a program at church. It happens by living your life, bringing God in and involved in your everyday life. So if we are to grow up into every way into Christ, our work should be central to that because after all, we talked about last week, we will spend more time working than pretty much anything else that we do during our short time here on earth. So what does it mean to grow spiritually in our work? Well, I'd like to introduce a fourfold progression, specifically having to do with our motivation for work. You get a, we could look at work from many different angles, you know, how the Bible looks at it. But today I want to look at just our motivation, what drives us, what fuels us when we are working. And I want to do that based on what we read in the letters of the Apostle Paul in the Bible. So generally speaking, when it comes to work, kind of the baseline motivation, the starting point, is what we might call a paycheck-driven motivation for work. This is a value exchange. I work in order to get something in return. Now, oftentimes, that is a paycheck. We we earn something with our work, but not always. And what's important for us to realize when it comes to this motivation for work is is there's a trap that we can get into. And that is, if I don't know exactly what I'm earning, I don't have to work. It's an easy place to get to. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks on this. He touches on this motivation in his letter, second letter to the church in Thessalonica, where he wrote this. He said, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Well, that's a command. Now, it's a bold statement. And we need to understand this isn't something punitive. Rather, as we learned last week, Work is embedded in the very fabric of creation. It's part of what we're designed to be a part of. And when we work to meet our basic needs, which is what this is inviting us to do, we actually can find joy and satisfaction in that because it's part of what we were made to do. I I remember, maybe you remember, the first time you received a paycheck. When I was in high school, I got a job. I was working in a small warehouse in the the town where I lived, and we, we delivered electric motors. And so I'd get a work order, I'd pull it out of the stack, I'd, I'd go and I'd get the different motors that this company wanted, I'd bundle it together, I'd put it on a pallet, and then I'd put it out on the dock for it to be shipped. That was, that was my job. And I remember the joy, the sense of pride that I had when I got my first paycheck. It's like, wow, I earned this. I also remember the shock and the horror of how much they took out for taxes. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Where'd a half of it go? But it was, that was my paycheck. I did that. I earned that. That value exchange. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of what a motivation for work. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that unless that's all there is. If that's all there is, then you'll run into futility before long. The writer of Ecclesiastes t- touched on this. In Ecclesiastes 2, we read, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. 
For I must leave to others everything I have earned. If you know this book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about life under the sun. If you, if you don't have God involved, if there's nothing outside of what you see here on earth, uh, this is kind of where, the, where life will end up, including work. If work is all there is, if it's just a value exchange, pretty soon you're just going to come to hate it because you can only earn so much and you can only keep so much. And when you die, you leave it to somebody else. So if that's all there is, then, then, then it's just not enough. We need something more than that. And good news is there is something more than that. As we mature, we discover there's a second motivation for work, what we might call a purpose-driven motivation. Now, with this motivation, we see work as part of God's design, again, linked to what we talked about last week. But not just design for humanity in general, but design for each one of us. Unique, we have a unique role to play, something that, that God has in mind. The Apostle Paul touched on this in Ephesians. Where we read this. It says, God saved you by his grace when, he, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Okay? Do you, do you see the paycheck driven or the, the value exchange motivation there? It's like that's not what's going on. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And we, we see clearly in this passage that hard work, diligent work, excellent work, or any kind of work doesn't get us the good life that we desire. Work doesn't get us into God's family. Work doesn't keep us in God's family. By grace, we are saved from our sins. By grace, we are invited into God's family. But then that begs the question, what are we saved for? And that's what we get in the second half of this, of this verse here. Jesus, Paul says we are designed for good works. He has created us good things to do, which he thought of long ago, before you and I were even born. He had good work for us to do. And I think there's great encouragement in that. I mean, think of this. When God dreamed of you, when, God, when you were in his mind's eye, he knew you were going to reflect something of him that nobody else ever can or ever will. And that involves bringing what he gives you to bear and to offer to the world around you. What you do flows out of who you are, not the other way around. It's not that we're, we, we are defined by what we do and that's how we get value from it. No, we have value given from God and then we have something to offer to the world around us. Which means we should know what we were made for. We should know who we are, kind of what it is that we're designed to be. And so one way to explore that is through an acronym SHAPE. The idea of you are shaped for good works. And this acronym helps us get at different ways we can uncover what, how we're designed and what we're designed for. So the S stands for spiritual gifts. When we give our life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, he gives us specific gifts for the body. Because we are better together. We are made for one another. And so things like teaching and, and leading and serving and giving and things like that are gifts. Some of us have more of than others, and that's part of the design. So what spiritual gifts do you have? Heart. This one gets at the idea of passion. The idea of what, what gets you motivated? What gets you amped up? What makes you want to pound the table saying, this should not be or this should be? Or another way to look at it is, what is it that when you're doing this particular thing or this particular way you're doing something you feel this sense of awe, this sense of yes, yes, this, this is what I was made to do. There's a joy in that, a satisfaction in it. That's all this idea of the heart. 
our abilities. You know, we, you look around, you hang out with people long enough, we have different abilities. You know, some of you are good with your hands. If you're a, a dentist or a doctor, you'd better be, right? Uh, some of us are more athletic or, you know, like to, uh, like are good at working with machinery or things like that. Some of us are, are very intelligent and are, are able to focus on details and, and, and be able to manage things over a long period of time. Some of us, you know, we're good at relationally, you know, good at, at marketing or, or motivating others. I mean, there's so many different ways that we have abilities that we can know. What, what are the abilities that you have that maybe others don't? Similarly with personality, uh, we all, we're all operate in this world differently. You know, some of us are, so we're detail people. Others of us wouldn't know a detail if it hit us in the face. You know, some people, your, your gut level decision making, right? You know, I just, I just feel like this is the right decision. Others of you are like, nope, got to have the pro list and the con list. And only if the pro list is longer than the con list, am I going to do that? It's a personality style. Now, some of us are people people. You love being with groups of people. Can't wait to be with groups of people. Uh, others of us, we can't wait to get some alone time. And I just want to be by myself, or, right? Some personalities. And the last one, experiences. Every one of us have unique experiences that we walk through in life. And they become a gold mine to be able to give away and to help others. So how are you shaped? You explore in each of these areas and you uncover different aspects of things that make you unique and you have something unique to offer to the world around you. Uh, this, is, this is the very reason I'm sitting up here right now is going through a process similar to this. The first time I had the opportunity to speak in public, I was 10 years old. Uh, at my church, they invited me to, to be a part of a dramatic speaking uh, situation there. I was invited to share some things I memorized, and I, and I shared them. And I remember I loved it. I didn't know why I loved it. I didn't know that I would love it. But I just remember really enjoying that. I can still picture myself in my mind there doing that, even though it was 10 years old. But then in my early teen years, I developed some pretty strong insecurities, and I avoided speaking up in groups. And sometimes that happens where there's obstacles in the way, even of what we're made to do, and there seems like it's, we become to places where it seems like that's so far away. I mean, for me, by the time I got to high school, I was basically a wallflower, quiet, shy, keep to myself. At school, you'd pretty much always find me if I had any free time. I was in the library reading or studying, just to give you an idea. I used to read encyclopedias for fun. Yeah, to give you a picture, right? Now, it was good for me academically. Uh, I ended up finishing second in my graduating class. You know, did great for that. Which, interestingly enough and ironically enough, the valedictorian, the salutatorian, the second in their class, they were given the opportunity to give a graduation speech, right? So, that, so they came to me a few months before graduation and said, hey, you're going to have this opportunity. And I was horrified. I mean, like, oh, part of me, most of me was like, no way. But then there's this deep part of me. I call it my can't not. I kind of knew that I, I, I can't not do that. I, I felt compelled to do that. Nobody told me I had to do anything, but I just knew inside that's something I have to do. So the first time I stood up in front of a thousand people, and to give a speech. I was petrified. I mean, I was just, I, I, I was so overwhelmed. And yet, at the same time, I was exhilarated. There was something about that. I didn't know it at the time. And then moving into my college years and, and being at a large church and, and having a, some mentors speak into my life. And one in particular said, you need to know who God made you to be. And, and in particular, he pointed me to spiritual gift inventories. Maybe you've seen them. There's available online. There's a lot of different ones. And so I can be a junkie about such things. After all, I'm the guy who read encyclopedias. So I took a whole bunch of them. And I, each one, they, they, they kept coming back to two words, teaching 
and exhortation. Exhortation being kind of the motivation and, you know, help people to go from here to here. Uh, you see a theme there. So as I entered into my 20s and I, that, that can't not part of me that, com- that compelled me to speak, to teach, over, kind of slowly overcame my fear of being up in front of people. Slowly. <laughs> but I started, I started purposely seeking out opportunities to teach at church, at work, uh, in my community. I even joined a public speaking club called Toastmasters. Did you know such a thing existed? It's a great organization. You learn how to speak and they're there to help you speak publicly. I, I did that two different seasons of my life. And then slowly over time, I gained experience and expertise so that now, 30 years later, this is a big part of what I do, and I love it. I get such joy and, and, and encouragement and, and such, such satisfaction out of teaching, and I get feedback from people that it makes a difference. I know that this is at least part of what I was made to do. It's part of my shape. This SHAPE acronym is something that we do cover in depth in our SERVE class that that Jace mentioned earlier. Uh, And so I would encourage you, if that's of interest to you, that idea not just about find a place to serve here, although that's important, but to find out who God crafted you to be and to walk through that process. So next Sunday, August 22nd, 1230, I invite you to join us for that. Now, finding your unique design is a really important aspect of work, but it's still not enough. In fact, if this is your only motivation to work as a purpose-driven motivation, pretty soon it, become, it can become self-oriented and pretty, it's easy to get into an idea that the world around you and the people around you exist for you and your personal development as opposed to you giving what you have to them. And so we need to grow and mature in our understanding of work. And when we do, they, we, develop, we, we find there's a third motivation for work and that is a philanthropy-driven motivation. In other words, we see work as providing the means to give generously to others. We see this motivation also in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he wrote this. He says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. Why? So you can give generously to others in need. Now, this is inviting us to work so that we can give And we give both what we produce with our work as well as what we earn with our work. We come into this world, and this is what Paul's uh, touching on here. We come into this world with a take mentality. This is our default because of sin. Everybody else exists for me. That's how we come out of the womb. And, And when we have that mentality, consumption is our driving force. But that's not how God operates. God doesn't operate. He didn't create us so that we can get something from us. He created us so that he could give something to us. That's what God right now is working. He's creating the universe. He's still, the universe is still expanding. You know, there's still stars being created. God is still at work. And he's at work so that he could give to his creation. And when we become like him, that's how we operate as well. God says through Paul, stop taking Don't merely take what others produce, work so that you can have something to give. This philanthropy-driven motivation is the foundation for every human institution. Any institution of people, any group of people trying to get something accomplished requires this. All the way down to the very basic institution on the planet, which is marriage and family tied to marriage. Marriage and family require a philanthropy-driven motivation for work 
because there's a lot of work involved in a marriage and in a family. Do I have an amen in the congregation? (laughs) Yeah. The thing is, though, if you take a paycheck-driven motivation into your marriage and family, not that you're going to earn a paycheck, but remember, it's a value exchange to where I only work if I get something in return. If you take that into a marriage or a family, it's just not going to work. That sounds something like you do, my, you do your part, and I'll do my part if you do your part. And if you don't do your part, then I'm now justified in doing something else or going somewhere else or somehow taking it out on you or something like that. It doesn't work. All it does is breed competition and, and, and consumerism. You know, interestingly enough, a purpose-driven motivation for work doesn't, doesn't work either because there are many things that are required in a marriage and a family that you won't feel called or created to do. <laughs> Anybody feel called to change dirty diapers? <laughs> no weirdos in here. <laughs> Anybody, you know, cleaning up vomit, doing the dishes, taking out the garbage, right? It's a lot of work to be done. And it's not necessarily that we feel called to do. It just needs to be done. And it requires this philanthropy-driven motivation, this idea that I work so that I can give to others. Churches also thrive when people participate with this philanthropy-driven motivation to work. For example, every Sunday morning here at Sunrise, what we do takes about 100 volunteers. Think about that. About 100 volunteers whether that's up here on stage singing or playing an instrument or as you walk in the door and somebody greets you or points you in the right direction to find what you need or somebody made coffee, you know, the coffee doesn't make itself, right? Uh, Serving communion, you see that every week. We have people that are up here pray, that pray for you after the service. We have people that are in the back right now in the dining hall making up a nice snack for you to be able to go back there and eat and talk to others, right? All that, they're volunteering. They're working with this philanthropy-driven mindset, So if you're not on a Sunday morning team, I strongly urge you to be a part of that team. Not because we have a spot to fill, although there are lots of opportunities, but because it's part of what you're made to do, to be a part of a church, to give, to work, so that you have something to give rather than just taking. In addition, everything you see and hear at Sunrise only happens because of financial generosity, Where you work, you earn a paycheck, and then you give part of it to your church so that we collectively can make an impact in the world around us. My role of the administrative pastor, that's what I oversee, is paying attention to and collecting the money that you give and then looking to make sure it's spent wisely. Now, I tell you, we have some generous people here at Sunrise. I get to see firsthand how many of you have found the joy that comes from working and then giving. Sunrise people are generous people. That's who we are. And and if you're a part of Sunrise, I hope that that's how you see yourself as well. Now, as wonderful as it is to have a philanthropy-driven motivation for work, it's still not enough because it still doesn't get to the very core reason that we are even on this planet. What are we made for? Which brings us to the fourth and final motivation for work, which I'll call a praise-driven motivation. So we're going to look one more time at Paul's letter to the Ephesians to see this. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, it's the Lord who will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. 
Now, before I say anything else about this passage, I want to just address the idea of slavery. You know, in Paul's day and age, slavery dominated the culture. It was the reality. And when he wanted to speak into and teach truth of the gospel to people in their context, that was their context. Now, what we do is we can take what Paul spoke in their context and apply it to our work context. And what you see here the thematically, themes through this, is that when you, when you uh, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you declare him Lord of your life, one thing you can know to be true is that you no longer work for Intel or for the Hillsborough School District or for Starbucks or wherever you happen to work. You work for King Jesus. That's who you work for. That's who your boss is. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, there are several praise words and phrases in this passage. That phrase, deep respect and fear. It's talking about earthly matter, masters, but as we learned here, it's really about King Jesus. With deep respect and fear, it's a phrase that you'll see repeated all through the Bible, and it's a worship phrase. It's that, it kind of ties to that, what you might call that wobbly in the knees kind of feeling that you get when you're in the presence of something or someone awe-inspiring. You know, that kind of drop the jaw and you go, oh, wow. That's kind of what that's getting at there. It's a worship phrase. Another worship phrase here is, is do the will of God with all of your heart. Again, that with all your heart, that single-hearted devotion. That's a worship phrase. To, to do so with enthusiasm, work with enthusiasm. The idea of having it be an overflow out of the good things you've already received. God has been so good, I cannot help but overflow in the work that I do. What Paul is saying here is something radical and incredibly relevant for us today. And I would summarize it this way. Your work is worship and your workplace is holy ground. Your work is worship and your workplace is holy ground. Now, if that sounds odd to you, it's probably because you've bought into a cultural lie That cultural lie is that life can somehow be divided into sacred and secular. It's like we have two buckets. We have a sacred or a religious bucket, and then we have a secular bucket. And the things that we would call holy, we put in the sacred or the the religious bucket, and everything else we put into the secular bucket. And so we have things in the sacred bucket like like Bible reading and, and what we're doing here, Sunday morning worship. And we have things like work that go in the secular bucket. And we do this thing with, with places as well. We have our church building, you know, surely that goes into the secular or the, or the sacred or the re- religious bucket. And then we have our workplace, ah, that goes over in the secular bucket. Now, you got to know that the Bible has a fundamentally different perspective on this. From the Bible's perspective, It isn't that activities or events or places are somehow sacred or secular. People are sacred. Through Jesus, God makes people holy, which means he sets them apart for his purposes. That's what holy means, set apart. God makes people holy. What that means is, is what makes an event or an activity or a place sacred is not the event or activity or place itself, but the people who are there. Something or some place is holy when God's set apart people do what they do for God's glory, for God's fame. 
So my friends, when you trust, when you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit comes and resides inside of you, which means when you walk in the door to that clean room or that auto repair shop or that classroom, that office building, store, warehouse, or wherever you happen to work, that place becomes holy ground because you and the Holy Spirit just walked in. And your work in that place is worship. Now, I hope that you understand that that worship is more than singing songs in a church building on Sunday mornings. No, work is the overflow of the heart, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. When Jesus' gospel transforms you from the inside out, you become a dearly loved child of God. You become a part of God's family. You work with enthusiasm because you have an audience of one who has been so good to you and his rewards far exceed any other reward. If you want a good guide into this idea of how even mundane work can be done and become holy ground to you, I would invite you to look at a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. If you've never heard of that, it's, it's actually not as much of a book as it is thoughts about and thoughts from a man by the name of Brother Lawrence, who is a simple 17th century French monk. Unless you think he's somehow more holy, no, he worked in the kitchen. Okay, for all of his life, he worked in the kitchen because he was too poor to afford the education necessary to become a priest. Interestingly enough, because of the way he approached his work with a praise-driven, love-of-God-driven mentality, his reputation got out and people everywhere started seeking him out for spiritual guidance. So even though he lived a humble life far from the centers of power, even though he died an obscure death, his words have never been out of print. They've been translated into multiple languages. Thousands, if not millions of people have been encouraged by him over the last 400 years. I believe it's because his writing is immensely practical and helpful for everyday people in everyday life. So just to give you a glimpse into and I just have one quote I want to read through here. He says, Men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules. They set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the idea of how do I find God? Where is God? How do I get on God? And we have all these rules and all these things we're supposed to do and we try to do, and yet it doesn't seem to work. And he says, yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? In other words, it's with a praise-driven mentality. We can do the little things for God. I can turn the cake that is frying on the pan for the love of him. And that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him, him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise up happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Even the simplest action can be an act of worship. Work is the primary means or a primary means through which we grow and mature. God takes us through from a paycheck motivation to a purpose-driven motivation to a philanthropy-driven motivation and finally to a praise-driven motivation to our work, to our everyday life. Well, as I mentioned last week, in each of, each of these uh, messages, I, wanted to, to, I want you to hear from somebody just among you, just an everyday person seeking to live out the gospel at work. And today I want you to hear from Billy Feldman. 
I asked Billy to share his story of, of how he's grown in his understanding of work. Let's watch this together. My name is Billy Feldman, and I've been attending Sunrise for a while now. You get the privilege of being on the worship team here. My work pass actually started pretty young. Um, I was always had odd jobs in the summers, but um, I was a teenage parent, and so things changed pretty quickly and went into high gear where earning a paycheck was it was a pretty big deal. And so also just wanted to show everybody that I could do something with myself, um, especially being a three-sport athlete, doing all things, and, and, and wanted to show that I can make something. So really pressed into many different jobs and from retail to construction and kind of the same script. Just working hard, getting that paycheck, but also like advancing myself and, and trying to grow and getting that privilege and that title. And time after time, it just kept feeling like I kept hitting that ceiling. And that's about the time I think I had the first epic life burnout. About the time I met my wife, Lord blessed me with kind of a path of leading down to become a counselor. So I threw myself really into that experience, really just in this schooling and every work opportunity because I felt so good at that time because it's finally a time in my life where not only do I have a chance for a paycheck, but I have a purpose, I have a career, I have a title and a way to help people because that's always been something I've wanted to do. But again, started hitting that ceiling again of like, oh no, just something was missing. I just felt like a piece of breath was missing. And Okay, so I started scrambling. I'll, I'll start my business. I knew I always wanted to do that. So I started to get my business and get that going. And that's when the second epic life burnout hit. I was kind of pausing the story. You know, I've, I've always been a believer, but always kind of one foot in, one foot out. And about that second burnout time, Lord really started hitting me hard to like, do you know me? Do you incorporate me in what you do? And I hadn't. So just really trying to sink into that truth that asking him, how do you want me to move forward with this? How do I respond to this? And really trying to move forward and all of a sudden there was a shift. That's when things started to click. I feel like that's when things, all these pieces that I've been pursuing individually started coming together. Now I'll be completely honest. I'm struggling on a day-to-day factor trying to incorporate and put him first. But I know as a believer, I know he's talking to me. I know there's something there. I know there's something to this pursuit. And when I put him and incorporate him, all these things start to line up. So I'm still figuring it out. And hopefully you guys can join me in finding that out too. Each of these stories, you know, these are, for most of us, it's not fun to stick your face in front of a camera and tell your story. And so I'm grateful for Billy and for others that are sharing their stories. Just everyday people going after, seeking to, to experience the gospel in and through their work. And so my friends, we live out the gospel at work when we understand that our workplace is holy ground, that our work is worship, and that God's reward exceeds any other reward. And when we live that way, we display the gospel to a lost and broken world around us. So it's asking, what is work all about? Now, how much better would it be if we could see our work as how God grows us and matures us rather than other motivations like trying to prove something or or trying to gain power or trying to earn more money or get certain... Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be a better story to live and a better story to tell? Why don't we live that way as a church? Would you pray with me? And so, Father, creator, Lord of heaven and earth, none of this is an accident to you. What is going on in the world around us, what is going on in our work and and the work around us, you thought of this ahead of time, and you have good work for us to do. 
And so as we put our trust in Jesus, as we look to him for hope and help, would you give us wisdom into who you made us to be? And then would you help us to overflow from your goodness to the world around us, to bring the, the work that you've given us to do, to bear on our workplace, the people around us, so that we might display your goodness through us. Give us wisdom in that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.